had to get my microphone because we're still recording these. In times like this, we can see panic, we can see dismay, we can see people that may feel frustrated because they can't find toilet paper. Um, you may feel as though there are, I don't have to throw that one in there. I lo- Listen, if you have quality COVID-19 memes, I need you to send them to me, tag them to me. I get through situations like this by memes, and I love it. It's one of those things that um, Tommy made a good point. He said, there hasn't been like all this animosity. There hasn't been hatred. I think that um, even though we feel very distant from each other, I'm thankful that we have the luxury of the internet so we can still connect with our brothers and sisters and people who are literally far away and they're not close to us. We can still connect with them and we need to laugh. We need to have joy. We need to have times where we just continue to fellowship with each other and um, I believe we can do that through the internet. So you got some good quality memes. Go ahead and throw those out to me and we'll make sure that we share those if they're funny. I'll even tag you with them if they are hilarious. But um, we are continuing through our series um, in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. We are actually in verses 22 through through 33. Um, The sermon series has been called Set It Straight. Um, What we've been looking at is how Paul the Apostle was talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's giving them basic biblical instructions on how they are to live their life in unity horizontally with God and the understanding that each and every one of them was far away from God. They were dead in their sins and their trespasses. But because Jesus Christ and his blood and the love that he had for us, he cared enough to redeem us. He cared enough to say that you may have been in a pit of hell in your life, but I loved you and I cared about you enough to be able to show you worth and value and to give you understanding on who you were truly meant to be, and to bring you back into your identity as you had in the Garden of Eden as my son and my daughter and my beautiful creation. He then kind of transitioned from the individual relationships to the relationships we have corporately with each other. He talks about how he had this task of uniting the Jews and the Gentiles together, which was almost an impossible task to do in the day and age that he was in. We kind of equated this to where we're in the month of February, how it would be like a Martin Luther King who was saying that God has united us all as a whole. And we all have rights in the kingdom of God and we were all to honor each other in the kingdom of God. So then he transitions from learning how to honor each other into learning how to live a new life with each other. And ultimately, the rules that God gives us and the instructions that he gives us is to bring us to a place where we can live in fellowship and edify our brothers and our sisters. He gave a lot of great practical knowledge on how we corporately as a church and how we live together in this Christian fellowship, how we're to uplift our brothers and sisters how we're to support each other. If, if Tommy's got my back, when I make a mistake or sin, he can lift me up and the church can continue to grow because we are many different parts who are being molded and built together with Jesus Christ as our head. And we all submit to Jesus Christ because we know the great sacrifice that he's given unto us through the sacrifice on the cross. So now we see a transition in chapter five after Um, Paul has told us to walk in love and be imitators of God and um, giving ourselves over not to the sin of the world, but giving ourselves over to thanksgiving to God. He does a very abrupt shift here where he starts to talk to us about how do we live in gospel-centered relationship with our husbands and wives. And then next week, we're going to talk about how we live in gospel-centered relationships with children and parents. And then we're going to talk about how we um, put on the whole armor of God. I believe 
when we get to the place of where we talk about the whole armor of God, the first five chapters were all in preparation to say that you wouldn't be able to put these tools on correctly unless you were living the life first. And Paul wants to establish how do we live this life so that we can defend ourselves against the enemy. When we feel attacked mentally and physically, how do we live a life that glorifies God and edifies our brothers and sisters so we can continue to walk in biblical fellowship with each other? Amen. I keep expecting the amen back. There's nobody here except for Tommy. Amen. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So this is what it says here. We're going to read our, um, we're gonna read our verses, and we're going to pray, and we're going to jump into this and give some context of what Paul is talking about here. It says here in Ephesians 5, in chapter 22, I'm sorry, chapter 5, and verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the, the, head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his, his body and is himself is the savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or such thing that so might that that she might be holy without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does to the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this is the mystery, I'm sorry, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for technology. We thank you for the time for us to come together corporately, that we may not physically be in the building of Risen City, but we know that we are called to be the church regardless of if we are meeting corporately together, Lord. I pray, and I, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, that as a pastor and as a mentor and as somebody who teaches, it does not help us at all if we come here every single Sunday and preach and teach a message, but our members are not able to grow in a personal relationship with you, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that this time that they may be alone, that they use it to talk with you and to grow unto personal relationship. God, I pray today that you help us to be edified by the word of God, but also by our prayers and our personal relationships during this time as we are continuing the fellowship with our brothers and sisters, even though we aren't face to face. God, I pray that you open our hearts to receive the wisdom that's in this word, God. Give us understanding. Help us, God, not to come in with a callous or um, a negative understanding of what the scripture says, but I pray that it helps us to understand how we can uplift each other and the order that you've given us to be able to glorify you and to grow into personal and corporate relationship with each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, keep keep wanting to amen. Tommy, you have to give me amen every once in a while. Amen. There we go. So this is one of the verses in the Bible that when a lot of people, when they, they speak and they teach about this, it is one of the things that it isn't given in the context that I believe that it needs. 
Paul is now talking about personal relationships. Um, in the culture and the time, he's got to give some kind of context on how we are to have personal relationships with our brothers and sisters, our husbands and our wives, and also with the church around. So he's talked about how we have relationships with our church, but he starts to speak specifically on wives and to husbands. I believe wholeheartedly for us to understand what these verses are saying, that we have to have a real understanding on what biblical marriage looks like in the context as the Bible as a whole. Um, how God ordained biblical marriage in the Garden of Eden. This gives us good context as to why Paul says to him, to says to the wives, submit to the Lord. When, when you read this initially, when you think about that, I think about the Destiny's Child, Destiny's Child song, like, all oh, my women, the independent, throw your hands up at me. Like, you know, we think about these women. We think about how he's asking them to submit to their wives. And that word submit can have such a negative connotation. We, we sometimes think that when we say the word submit, it means that you are then laying down all of your rights. You're laying down every aspect of your life. And so much so it can even feel like you're saying I'm being bonded into like this kind of slavery aspect to where I have no freedoms at all. And no different than when we were teaching in Ephesians 4 and 5, as Paul talks about how he was a bondservant, how he was a slave to Jesus Christ, how he submitted himself to the will of God and to Jesus. Paul is trying to establish here, hey, listen, understand that we have complementary roles as husbands and wives. That when we submit to God and we submit to the church and we submit to Jesus Christ, he is going to give us the order which will help us as husbands and wives, to grow together in relationship and to glorify and edify the church. So what we've got to start to look at initially before we jump into this is, what is the intention of marriage? What was the intentions that God initially had for us in the Garden of Eden? What does, the, what does biblical marriage actually look like? So we're going to take a second, we're going to jump over to Genesis. And in chapter 1, and in verse 26, this is what the Bible says. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds and over the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them to be fruitful and to multiply on the earth and subdue it and to have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and to everything that moves on the earth. Paul, Paul's, I'm sorry, Paul's establishing here. What God is establishing here is that he's first saying this, that man and women are created equal, 100%. He didn't distinguish here by saying, hey, the husband is going to tell the woman how to have dominion over these things. He said, no, I've created you both in my image. And as you all are living in fellowship and relationship with each other, I've given you dominion over the earth and the world around you. So as he starts to kind of jump into, it gives a little bit more context in chapter two as to why Adam had to have a companion. Why did Adam need a companion? It didn't make any sense to me kind of thinking about this as, as we're thinking about how Adam, had to have, um, how Adam had to have this relationship with God, how he was created first. He walked with God in the cool of the day. He was made in perfection. He was in a perfect garden. He had perfect relationship with God. 
Why did he need a helpmate? Why did he need someone to walk alongside him? I believe that God, when we read this, is that God is wanting us to have a, a, a um, vertical relationship with him. We're walking in the cool of the day. We're getting our wisdom from God. But also I believe that God is a triune God, that the Trinity, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all work in parts together, and they are all one still. So this model that we see in this Trinity, in the triune God, God seen and knew that Adam still had to have a personal relationship. This relationship was not meant to say that you're going to lord over this person and you're going to reign over them, but no, you all work in fellowship with each other. We see this dynamic in the understanding of submission does not mean that you're not, does not mean you were underneath in this place where you don't have equality, but in submission means that I'm working towards the goal of having this relationship with God and doing God's best will. As we see Jesus Christ willingly submitted himself to God, and he co-labored and worked together so that we could have salvation. No different than this, I believe that Adam was given Eve so that he could do the work and the ministry and to oversee the earth in this relationship. Adam, I could believe, felt like there was a part of himself that was missing. So when in Genesis 2, it starts at verse 21, it says here that, um, in 18 actually, it says, Then the Lord God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, and I will make him a helper. He saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone and walking this out. As us, we, we have to have individual relationships. And as Paul is shifting in Ephesians uh, 5, talking about these relationships, he's giving us guidance on how we fellowship and live with each other. So he says here in verse 21, he says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in the place of the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. And then man, Adam said this. I love what he exclaimed. He said, this is at last. He says, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, the man shall leave his husband and his wife and hold fast his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Adam exclaimed, he said, this is a part of me. So as we're looking at biblical marriage and biblical relationship, it's the understanding that man and woman were made to work and to glorify God and to live in this right relationship as one in God's order. God had given them the task of having dominion over the earth to be fruitful and to multiply. And they were to do this together um, in the context of understanding that, that Adam had some weaknesses and Eve was brought on board to be the strength in those places that he had weaknesses in. So what we see here in marriage is not this kind of dominion over Adam saying to my wife, but he's saying, you are a part of me. You are a part of my, my essence. You're my rib. You're my bone. You're a part. We are one in the work that we are doing. But I believe as we kind of jump forward into a 21st century, the 22nd century, it's 21st century, 21st century marriage and life, we have to understand, even in when Paul is speaking about this in the book of Ephesians, there are some kind of standards that as we go into marriage, as you look at having an individual relationship with someone, there are some basic things that we have to do that are examples that Adam was doing in the garden before he could receive his wife. Um, I believe wholeheartedly that God prepares you in your singleness for the mate that you're supposed to have. 
if you focus on pursuing God wholeheartedly with every aspect of your life. Uh, my mentor, Bobby Limley, he always said this. We were all young and we were interns. And I remember we were talking about relationships. You know how young guys are. You, we couldn't have um, relationships. We couldn't date people during our interns. And I was like, why would you do this to me, Bobby? I'm a single young man. And I remember him telling us, he said, what I want you to focus on is this. And this is an aspect that he always taught to us. He said, are you willing and are you able to have a relationship in this world where it would only mean that you would have God alone. When you are able to live in a right-standing right relationship where you as though know that you could serve and live with just God alone, I believe then that's a good sign that you are ready for a relationship with someone else. Um, many a times what happens is we jump into relationships and we're unequally yoked because we are pursuing different things in life and you end up trying to redeem someone, but you also forget that you cannot be the redeemer. The goal in life is that you pursue God 100% so that your life can bring other people to the revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is. So as you're running this life and as you're living in fellowship with God, you start to run full steam ahead towards what God has for you as an individual. You got these blinders on. You're not being distracted by the left or to the right, but you focus on what God has for you in your individual relationship. And once you're starting to run towards God, you're going to start to see people running with you, and you're going to start to see people fading away from you. God is purging people and things that maybe are unequally yoked in your life because he wants you to walk in a deep fellowship with God, an individual relationship with God. And as you are running towards God and you're pursuing after God, I believe you're going to get to a place where you look beside you and you see your helpmate running with you towards that same goal. Adam, as we see here, if you're taking notes, before Adam could go into biblical marriage and biblical fellowship, we see in, in, in the book of Genesis, Adam had to establish an individual relationship with God before he was given his wife. He wasn't the one to redeem his wife whenever they, they, the fall had happened. But he had to make sure that he was walking in an individual relationship. And as we are looking at biblical marriage, that is a, a prerequisite and a standard. Does your life as you are going to lead, are you going to be able to submit yourself in biblical fellowship with God and to what he wants for you? Secondly, Adam was doing and he was pursuing God's will in the garden. What was he doing? He was having the time of his life naming animals. I could just imagine frogs and stuff coming up to him. It's like, you're going to be the frog number two. You're going to be, you're going to be Sasquatch. And Sasquatch ran away. And we never saw him. Like, he was doing the work of God and fellowship with Tommy just gave me this look. He's, he's doing the work that God had assigned him to do. He was pursuing God's will. Thirdly, it says this, that God made woman out of man to be his strength where he lacked. So the goal in this is as you look in the biblical marriage and relationship, and I think this is what trips people up a lot, we believe as though our helpmate is to be the person to come alongside us and to support just us and our personal endeavors that we have. Um, your personal endeavors in life um, aren't always going to glorify God. But I believe as you find someone who's walking in biblical relationship with you, that person is going to help you where you may lack as we are serving God and strengthen you in every aspect and support you wherever it is needed. Um, the goal is that also, number point number four is that both were given dominion they were made equally in the image of God without sin. So as they are both made equally, 
in the image of God without sin, both needed the individual redemption, but they both had come together to worship God as one person in one unit. And the order was that God had gave man to be able to, to, be able to live in this place of leading his wife as Christ leads the church. It's an order that sometimes can be confusing to kind of look at who's on one and who's on two and who's on three. But I believe as we also look at the relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, you see this relationship and how it gives better order for us in our biblical marriage and our relationship that we have. And that God the Father is instructing Jesus Christ to come to earth and to redeem the world so we can also redeem and build the church. So as God is giving us the instructions for us to submit to God, Jesus Christ is showing the example on how submission should work and that there's this understanding that as God is giving the instructions to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is submitting to God, God is glorifying his son in all the works and actions that he does. So as we hop back over to the book of Ephesians, when you understand the backdrop to biblical marriage and that our relationship as individuals are to come together in biblical marriage so that we can glorify and edify God, it's to mean that we are to live as one in a horizontal relationship in our vertical relationship in marriage. And that God, when he brings us together as husband and wife, the purpose of the marriage is to help each other to become our future glorified selves and our new creations. How do we do this? It's by submitting, number one, to the gospel and what the word of God says for us as individuals. The goal for us is to not see submission as a barrier to service or a hindrance we see that corporately in the church. As we talked about a couple of chapters over, that when we look at the rules and revelations and the things that God has given us, it is to guide us on this path to help us to understand how do we worship God more. What I think and I see here sometimes is that we read this out of the context and what happens in our American society and cultures around the world, we look at how does the culture define how the biblical marriage should look how the husband and the wife's role should look. But when you come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the understanding that Jesus Christ and his salvation and sacrifice transcends the culture around us. I said this a couple weeks ago, is that the church is meant to be the influence on the community, but the community many times is the influence on the culture. So if we are working as individuals to putting Jesus Christ first in our lives and we are submitting to his will in this way, then it's the understanding that when he gives us instructions to our wives to say, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, it's the understanding that if we are in a right biblical relationship, the submission that you show to your husband will show honor to him and then the honor that he receives from you will make him want to live a sacrificial life for her, to bring her into right standing. It's no different than when we're reading the verses here. It talks about in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and himself is self is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I think the prerequisite to this is that when we look at this, there's two verses out of this whole half of a chapter that are committed to saying the wife should submit to the husband. But the remaining verses are then the mandate for the man to love his wife 
wholeheartedly as Jesus Christ has loved the church. Many people, they'll, they'll read this and they'll just take that and they'll say, oh, the, the wives should submit to the husbands. And that's all this we should say right there. Honey, go get me a drink. No. There's honor that is brought into this relationship when we reciprocate this submission to each other. A little backdrop to this also when we read this is the understanding that even as a New Testament church, that wives and women are created equally still in the world around us. That there shouldn't be any hindrances to the roles and the work that they can do in our community and the world around us. So what we see here is that God is establishing that we are still equal, that we all needed redemption. But in the biblical marriage in which we put ourselves in and that we submit ourselves to, I'm not talking about a worldly marriage. I'm talking about a biblical marriage. When you have made a covenant relationship with God, you are willing to submit to his best will because you know it will bring honor to your husband and honor to God. Wives are to submit to their husbands. It doesn't mean that every wife should submit to every, just any husband that's out there, just to give that some context. Because I think a lot of the times we look at this as men are just to overlord every, over every single woman. That is not the case at all. But it's giving context for us to understand how we are sub to submit to our husbands and to our wives. When you understand that you go into a marriage, that your individual goals that you have as you're pursuing after God, should be to bring glory to God. As you go in with that kind of mindset, then the goal will, um, will not to see yourself as submission, as a barrier, but to uplift God and to uplift each other as we are pursuing after our Lord. So when we look at this in the aspect of our day-to-day -day lives, as we are living out in the understanding on how we submit to the gospel and wives are supposed to submit to their brother wives are supposed to submit to their husbands i think there's a lot more focus that needs to be put on the husbands into loving their wives um me and lauren have been married i think seven it'll be seven years this year and when we met um it was a very weird time in my life personally First off, we had been friends for about two years. We had been going to Bible study groups. We had been out, you know, on some group outings and things like that. And I remember I was just in a very weird phase of my life. I was leaving banking and finance and IT, and I was really pursuing God wholeheartedly with every aspect of my life. But from the world standards, I was nowhere near where um, I used to be. And I remember meeting Lauren and, you know, talking to her and gaining this relationship. And I was living in my grandfather's basement and I had an 11 o'clock curfew. And there was some time that I had to sleep in my car because I wouldn't make it home with a curfew. And I remember Lauren was this executive director of this great, awesome after-school program called the Bob Burdett Center. And I knew that my life, I wanted to pursue after helping kids and families on the west side of Charleston. And Lauren was living this life pursuing after helping kids on the west side of Charleston. And by worldly standards, she was far ahead of where I was. By all means, she had bought a house. She had a car. I remember she told me she was buying a house. I was like, that's great. I own a car. I'm like, this is what I got right here. And I remember by worldly standards, by all accounts, Lauren should not have submitted to me. If we place the understanding and our value of each other off of what the world's standards are in life. Many people, when you look at marriage, they'll say, by the world's standards, I'm the executive director. I'm the CEO. I'm the person of a higher statute right now. I should be the one who's in charge of every aspect of our relationship. 
And I remember us going into dating and into getting married. And the day of my marriage, um, I remember just crying in the shower like a little boy. I cried like a little kid for like 20, 30 minutes. Because I had the revelation of what this actually looked like and understanding the love that Lauren had for me to allow herself to live in submission. And sometimes I think when I, when I read through this, I'm like, she allowed herself, like she, was, like she was putting herself down at a lower level to submit herself to me. But that's not at all what was going on. She understood the value of having a biblical relationship and how we were going to come into one and right standing with each other. And as her as the director of this great program and must, me also working in this community, that we could do better by working together in unity with each other by pursuing after the same exact goal to see God glorified in our lives. And when I started to see the, the love that she had for me and the willingness, willing, willingness that she had to submit to me as to lead our lives together, it humbled me so much and it honored me in such a place to where I said, God, I want to give everything that I have sacrificially to be able to pursue after what she wants because her life was in alignment with God and my life was in alignment with God. So then when we came together, our life became as one and we started to work together to say, I want to give all that I have. I want, I want to live here in Charleston. I want to play here. I want, I want to work with these kids. I want to work with these families. I want, I want to lay down the things in my life where I know I have weakness. God, I want to be a better steward of my time and energy and effort and my money. God, I want to uplift Lauren, as she is allowing me to lead. And I can only imagine also, as we're reading through here, and it gives the example of Jesus Christ. As the church, the wife, submits to Jesus Christ, Christ sees this level of honor that he is receiving, and he is willing to give everything over to his bride. As we look at it as in marriage, I was willing and able to say, Lauren is going to be my bride and my wife. I will give anything for her. And Jesus Christ does the same exact thing. Let's just understand that there's reciprocal honor that is going on, that when the wife submits to her husband who was living in right standing in relationship with God, then we start to see the balance of him saying, I will do and give up all things of this world. I'll put down the lust of the world around me to love my wife in perfect relationship. I'll put down the Xbox sometimes or the PlayStation, or maybe it even just means I'll give you that extra attention because I adore you and I love you and I care for you sacrificially. I'm willing to give myself up for her sake as she is submitting to me. And as the wife submits to the husband, it's pursuing this relationship together and knowing that that honor will bring them into better right standing as they are pursuing becoming who God has called them to be. Verse 25 in chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul gives the mandate to husbands. I'm talking to y'all out there and you over here. There's only one person here and all the snacks that are around me and stuff like that. And the person who just walked by going to the bus stop. I didn't know KRT was still working. Hope y'all got some masks on. Um, but it says this in verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. I want to stop here because I believe when you start to look at the context of the time that they were living in in a Roman kind of led society, it was the norm that the husband would be the person who would have all reign and rule over children and wives and things like that. I believe there's a part in here where it's saying, wives, humble yourselves to your husband. And that shows the love and the honor that is given to a man. We're guys. We love honor. We love to be able to see, receive um, um, adoration. And a lot of times we just want affirmations in what we are doing. And I believe Paul is saying, hey, women, um, hus- um, wives, submit to your husbands in these areas. It doesn't mean in submitting like if you were in a relationship that you're being beat, battered, and bruised. If you can't handle it, like, get out of those kind of relationships. But he's saying as you submit to your husband, your love can show him the honor that God shows Jesus Christ and can bring about that person to have salvation if they are not in right standing. I believe the main goal is for us to go into a relationship in right standing with God, but also is the belief that if you are not in a right standing with God, that God can also redeem that if we learn how to honor each other. So what happens next is that what, time is it? what happens next is that the husbands are to love their wives as Christ has loved the church and he gave himself up for them. I believe that when the husband starts to submit himself and to show that love and affection that the wife wants. Um, I believe, it's a, I love the, the five love language books. A lot of the, the wives and stuff, they always talk about how they want acts of affection and kindness. They want your time. They want to know that they're loved. They want to know that they have security. That's one of the things that the husband is to bring into the relationship is that you in that moment can bring her to a place and sanctify her and to bring her to a deeper love and understanding of who Jesus Christ and God is. I think you see this submission and that the wife is showing love to the husband and the submission. And you also see that the husband is bringing love and the submission and the honor that the wife brings to the husband will bring about God into our relationships and for the Holy Spirit to bring us into right standing. Verse 28, it says here that husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself and that no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ has done to the church. Christ wants us to love our wives as we love our bodies. Nobody in their right mind damages and blemishes their own selves, but they value that. It's no different than I, you, you eat the right things. You take care of your body so that you are able to do the best things in your life for yourself and for everyone else around you. So you also submit in love to your wife in doing so. And Tommy, we're about to finish up here. You want to come on up if we have a worship song? In verses 31, as we finish this out, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying this as it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as he loves himself. It's a mystery that Paul is revealing to us that the command is that a husband is to love his wife as his own flesh, and the husband joins in one relationship as one flesh with his wife. As we see this also kind of quoted in the book of Genesis, this isn't anything new, but it ties the relationship between Christ and the church. It's profound in the understanding that the creation of a husband and wife in union 
as itself is molded into Christ forecoming in the union of the body and the church. Christ is connected to his church. Christ is dedicated to the church, and husbands should be dedicated to their wives in all aspects, as wives should then, knowing the love of Jesus Christ and knowing the love of their husband, show submission back to their husbands so that we can, as one body, as individuals and husbands and wife, edify each other, then also edify the church. Amen? Amen. Because there's nobody here to say amen. So I keep doing that. We're going to end off in worship, and we'll end off in prayer. And we appreciate everyone joining us on the Facebook Live. I'm not going to lie, this was very awkward, and this sermon felt a little weird, but I'm thankful to be able to do this and to continue with some kind of normalcy as we're teaching. Um, I pray that as we live out these relationships, and I, I don't ever want to thank or say or make it feel as though marriage is an easy thing. But I do believe that as we come into a covenant relationship with God as husband and wife, when you bind yourself together as a three-chord strand, many marriages do this as an example, you can't tear it apart as easily because you have Christ and God at the center of it all. When you start to live for something greater than yourself, I believe then that your marriage and your life as you are pursuing God can have so much more joy because you are living not for your own individual ambitions, but you're living for God and you're living for the Savior and you're being molded into a new creation. And God is giving us that guidance that we need as we walk in submission and as in love. I pray one day we can do a whole sermon series on um, biblical relationships. This is very just like a very covering, but we wanted to get through the text here today. Amen. And we're going to lead up in the worship, Tommy.